You're listening to Podcast by Committee, produced by Starting Five Productions. And now, here's Andrew and Max Brill. Thank you, Mason Pettit, for the introduction, and welcome into Podcast by Committee. I'm your host, Andrew Brill, and my co-host... I'm Max Brill. And let's give you a little bit of an idea who we are and what we talk about. We talk sports. That's the bottom line. Two sports junkies coming at you. I have been a sports broadcaster for a little over 10 years now. I've worked at ESPN New York Radio. I've been a sports anchor on television in Connecticut on the CBS station. I've filled in at WABC Channel 7 here in New York City where we are based. I was the sports director at the ABC station in Albany, WTEN, for two and a half years. So have some TV experience, have some sports experience. I've also, at ESPN Radio, I spent uh, four years there. I covered the New York Giants in the locker room, on the field, and at practices, training camp. So had a firsthand knowledge of a lot of goings-on with the New York Giants. Also covered the New York, uh, pardon me, the Brooklyn Nets for two seasons. So I was in their locker room, talked to them, got a, a inside knowledge. Basically, I was the inside insider, the ESPN insider for ESPN New York Radio. So here we are doing a podcast. I'm doing a podcast with my son, Max, and Max will tell you a little bit more about himself. Well, well my resume isn't quite as robust as my father's. Uh, I'm a rising senior at the University of Michigan. There. I do have a little bit of broadcasting experience. I haven't been on ESPN, but WCBN in Ann Arbor, that's got to count for something. Uh, I also work with the Michigan baseball team. Last summer, I worked with the New York Mets, and this summer, I was supposed to do that again, but COVID has taken a toll on our sports, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that later in the episode. Aside from that, I run a blog called Musings of a Baseball Addict, and I have only my father to thank for that baseball addiction. Guilty as charged. I am a, a huge baseball fan as well as fans a fan of all sports. But I, I as at a young age, I got both my sons into baseball. My daughter plays softball, so uh, baseball is obviously my first love. But love all sports and and grew to really uh, be able to dive into the ins and outs of football, covering it uh, for ESPN and the New York Giants. But what Max doesn't tell you is that he's got one up on me. He's already won. A championship. He's also been his, his team, the Michigan Wolverines baseball team, which he is one of the student managers of, went went to Omaha and was in the Baseball World Series. Came in second to Vanderbilt, a very, very good Vanderbilt team, but he won a championship with the Brooklyn Cyclones, a Penn League championship uh, managed by the one, none other than Edgardo Alfonso, who's now a good friend of his. Uh, Andy Chavez was uh, one of those coaches, so he he won the championship this past summer, and so he's got he's got a ring to show for that. Uh, but you know he's got one up on me. So although my resume might be just a little bit longer, and that's got more to do with age than accomplishments. His accomplishments are a little bit bigger than mine. Always, always very humble, Dad. And I'm glad that we're three and a half minutes into our first podcast. We're already dropping names. A great precedent, precedent to set on podcast by committee. And if you haven't read Musings of a Baseball Addict, look it up. There is some great writings in there by Max. Uh, last Two years ago, he, he predicted exactly the five 
I think it was nominees, four, four, four inductees. Four inductees. So he, he it was the exact four inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So he predicted those exactly. And you know, when you when you look at it, one year there's two, one year there's five, and when you say these four will definitely get in, that that's a that's a, a pretty big accomplishment and has gotten praise uh, from. One Alex Rodriguez who read that article again, and, again with the name <laughs> dropping. Yeah, we're we're off to that, a great start, guys. Uh, you know that was a phenomenal article. But let's dive into it. We're in a, a really strange time in in our world, in our country. Not only with COVID nineteen, but with George Floyd's. Uh, I, I guess you could call George Floyd's murder at the hands of police and the outpouring of comments and suggestions and things from professional athletes who use that platform to try and bring about change. And Max, I have to ask you, as a, a younger fan, what do you think about athletes using that platform to try and bring about change? I think the athletes who want to bring about change would be remiss to not use their platform to do so. In 2016, Dwayne Wade Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, and Chris Paul stood on the stage of the ESPYs in black suits and demanded justice and change in this country for not only African Americans, but people of color and all people in general. And the fact of the matter is that here we are four, le- four years later, LeBron has been told by a certain Fox News commentator to shut up and dribble. And the fact that that is even a sentence that gets uttered in our country is absolutely ridiculous. Because if you think about it, these athletes want change. Everybody wants change. There's a clear systemic problem in our society when it comes to police relations with minorities. And if you want to condemn someone for standing up for what they believe in, for using the platform they have to try to bring about change, I think it just makes you ignorant. And I think that at that point, you're simply missing the mark. You're not understanding what these athletes want to do. And let me bring Colin Kaepernick into the conversation because Kaepernick, when he was the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, decided to kneel during the national anthem. And he wanted to bring about change. He wanted to bring about awareness to the issue of police brutality in the United States of America. It had nothing to do with disrespecting the flag. It had nothing to do with disrespecting the troops. He wanted to talk about an issue. And the way that he got people to talk about that issue was by kneeling during the national anthem. It wasn't an affront to anybody's love for the country or anybody's service to the country. He just wanted change. And he wanted dialogue. And that's what he got. People started talking about it. But for people to go out and say, hey, Colin Kaepernick is disrespecting the flag. Colin Kaepernick doesn't like America. He's disrespecting the troops. You're just missing the point if that's what you're saying. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to the people who are in leadership in our country not understanding where these minorities, where Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, people of color in our country are coming from when they talk about that stuff. I think you're absolutely right. You're, you're not going to affect change without dialogue, without bringing a serious situation, a serious wrong to the forefront uh, until you until you get people talking. And and that's what Colin Kaepernick really wanted. It wasn't about, look, I'm going to kneel and disrespect the flag. I'm going to kneel and disrespect the national anthem, the, the anthem of our country, the, the anthem that's played in every stadium, in every sporting event. And it there's, if there's a way to bring about change. That's one of the ways to do it. If there's one way to bring about dialogue. And, and basically, that's what Colin Kaepernick was trying to do. I mean, when you look at 
what what LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and and Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony did from that from them standing there with their arm up in their black suits from that brought about meetings with police brought about town hall type meetings with with lawmakers and police and and they went into their communities to try and bring about change so it was an act they wore a black suit they did something special on a stage they tried to use that platform and that that started a dialogue unfortunately that dialogue didn't bring around bring about a ton of change that we've seen because of the events that we've seen you know most recently one here in Staten Island with Eric Garner. Now you have George Floyd. You have a, a myriad of other people that have faced similar fate from police. And it's not only those people who have died. And let's let's peel back the per- the curtain a little bit. Neither Max nor myself can can understand what a black person, man or woman, goes through on a daily basis. Whether it be leaving the house, whether it be driving in their car. Now I will never ever put myself in their shoes, because I can't. But all I can do is talk to them, educate myself, so that we can try to understand what they go through and try and help to bring about change. And, I, you know, in in that respect, I think you you have to look at something like what Drew Brees said. And and we had this discussion a couple days ago, and we, we you know I said I think that Drew Brees missed the point a little bit. He's talking about the national anthem. He's talking about kneeling in disrespect when he didn't get it. He couldn't get it. He didn't understand. Now you're talking about Drew Brees, who has a platform in New Orleans, been there a long time, won championships, has a foundation, does a ton of good things, but can't get it. Because his skin color isn't the same skin color of a black man and doesn't face the same reality as a black person. But what he needs to do is, like, like you know, Matt Painter said, he wants to be part of the solution. He wants to educate himself. The, 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 the Purdue men's basketball coach came out and said he wants to, he wants to be part of the solution. Well, the only way to be part of the solution is to help, to understand, to be empathetic to the, you know people who are actually facing these issues. I completely agree with you. And as much as it pains me to say, because I am a Michigan Wolverine thrown through, Matt Painter and Tom Izzo have done a great job with what they've come out and said, acknowledging not only that there's a problem, but that they want to be part of the solution. And all they can do, all they can do is try to help. They right. just want they just want to try to understand and be a part of that solution. Marcus Stroman, I think, who, who can certainly understand what you go through, put it best when he said, we need to look in the mirror to begin to fight change. And all of us, black, white, any color, race, religion, you all look in the mirror and ask yourself, that, have I done my best today? Have I done my best to understand? Can I put myself in your shoes and try? Because you, you, in many cases, you can't put yourself in those shoes, but you have to try to understand what they go through. It, but that, by doing, by looking in the mirror and asking yourself, "Have I done my best today?" That's one way to start to become part of the solution. I agree completely, and I think to tie it back to sports, the idea that this is a problem that our society faces, but that athletes should 
shut up and dribble or shut up and throw. I, I just think that's completely misguided. Sports figures are intertwined in the fabric of our society. You look at guys like Michael Jordan. There was just a 10-part documentary about him on ESPN, and he was noted for not always speaking out on social issues. That's fine. People can make their decisions to do what they want to do. But LeBron James, why would he get hate for speaking out? Sure, it's not his job, but how is his opinion any less valid than a commentator on cable news or somebody on Twitter? That's the point. The point is that every person in this society has the right to share their opinion and the right to try to create positive change in the world. And the fact that LeBron has the following he has and has been speaking up for people of color, for minorities, and just for general equality in this country for as long as he has is nothing but commendable. He's taken advantage of the platform he has. I applaud them for doing that. I think that it's important, no, no matter what you do. I mean, you could, everywhere in, in your life, you have a platform, whether you think it's as a parent. I have a platform as a father. Because I have three kids that I need to get to follow what I think is right, but at the same time formulate their own opinion. But to be good people, that's the bottom line. You want them to be good people. As a, a worker in a place, you have a platform. You have a, a way of getting to people and having them understand what's good and what's not. So everywhere you go, you may not have the same platform as LeBron James because you're not right now one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA. You may not be the best player in Major League Baseball. You may not be Mike Trout, who's a quiet kind of guy who doesn't use that platform the way you know you think. You may not be Patrick Mahomes who's in a new commercial now, you know, trying to affect change. So you may not be that person, but you definitely have every person has a platform. No matter how, no matter how big or how small, you all have a platform and you can all affect change in some way or another. I agree with you completely. And I think that social media has made that even more simple for people to affect change. Now, I, I will be the first to say that slacktivism, posting on Instagram, I don't really think it does much except to raise awareness. I obviously would love to see more people out protesting in the street. Now, I haven't done that because we have a 95-year-old grandmother at home, and if I catch something, I don't want to bring it home to her. But I've donated money. I've tried to educate myself. I've tried to create positive change out of what has undoubtedly been a negative situation. And I think that athletes that are trying to do that like I said before, deserve nothing but praise. But, but to bring it back to sports once again, when you step in that locker room, and this, this is what happened with the Brooklyn Cyclones last summer, and the Michigan baseball team as well, there is no color. You are one team. You all play to win. Nobody is denying that fact. But when you step off the field and you step out of that locker room, that's where things change. And there's a great article in The Athletic that was written a few days ago. It was a conversation between... Five black baseball players. Latroy Hawkins was one of them. And he said that wherever he went, he always tried to immerse himself in the police department so they recognized his face and knew that he was a, a cause for good. Tory Hunter, on that same call, told a story about how he came home, he tripped the alarm in his house and didn't disarm it quick enough. A couple hours later, two police officers show up to his house. And this is in Los Angeles. And remember, Tory Hunter, at the peak of his career, one of the best defensive center fielders in the game, 
had a good bat too. I mean, you you remember Tory Hunter probably better All than I too do. Well, yeah, <laughs> and and he was in Los Angeles. Two cops pull up to his house. They knock on the door. He opens it for them. And there's an older cop and a younger cop. The older cop has his hand on his weapon, and he tells Tory Hunter to sit down. He says to Tory Hunter, "Whose house is this?" And Tory Hunter goes, "This is my house." And the older cop goes, "Is anybody else home?" And Tory's like, "Nope, this is my house. Nobody else is home." And he's like, go upstairs and get your license. And he puts the gun in Tory Hunter's back and leads him upstairs to get his driver's license. He shows him the driver's license. And the younger cop, who had been looking at him quizzically when he opened the door, says, I knew that was you. I knew I recognized you. The cop goes, what are you, what are you talking about? And the younger cop goes, that's Tory Hunter. He's the center fielder for the Angels. And this is not a joke. Tory Hunter says that the older cop asked him to leave him tickets for an Angels game. And I think that that is a testament to the plight that black people face in this country when it comes to police because Tory Hunter, if he wasn't Tory Hunter, maybe that story ends differently. We've seen examples of that. And the fact that he was an athlete gives him that platform to share that story. And thank God it ended the way it did because it definitely could have been a different ending. There's a million stories like that, and there's one on Instagram today that I saw this morning from Michael Strahan, who who finally came out, and and you know Michael Strahan's a, a news guy now on Good Morning America, so he can't really not he's supposed to be impartial, but he's a black man, a relatively large black man, a Hall of Fame, NFL, uh, sorry, football Hall of Famer, and he even said that he's angry, he's angry because. He can't show it because if he shows it, he's an angry black man. He's not just angry. He's an angry black man. But he also had that story where, you know, if a white person gets angry, it's okay. They're, they're, they're upset. They're mad. They're whatever. But he's tired of people being afraid of him. He doesn't think that people should be afraid. And why should they be? He happens to be one of the nicest guys around. But he's tired of people looking at him and being afraid. Uh, you know, maybe opposing quarterbacks were afraid, but that's a whole different story. But he also told a story about getting pulled over, and he's been pulled over, like he said, more than once, driving a nice car because he can. And he, he got pulled over, and you know, cop comes to the, to the window, and he says he wasn't speeding, he wasn't driving recklessly, just minding his own business driving. And, you know, cop comes to the window not knowing it was him, goes, oh, I always wanted to meet you. He's like, you didn't have to pull me over to, to meet me. You know, I've been pulled over. My heart starts to race because, you know, you were either speeding or doing something wrong. And, you know, when a cop comes to your window, I was brought up that these are the guys in charge. So you need to be a little bit afraid. But there's a difference between me being afraid and someone like Michael Strahan being afraid. And I can't tell you how many people I know. And, I, you know, I used to work on the radio hosting a, a show with, you know, Larry Hardesty, who's a black man, who tells me that he's afraid for his kid. When his son, he's had to have the conversation with his son when he leaves the house. And his son's going to have, have to have conversations with his kids, which are, are now around, saying, look, I know that you mind your own business. But it's got to go. You have to, you know, you have to pay attention. It's it's got almost got to be more than that. 
And, and that's that's the shame. But I have a question for you. Uh, a tweet by Victor Cruz a couple days ago, I guess it was Blackout Tuesday or Wednesday, when everybody was posting a black box on Instagram. Victor Cruz got upset by that. People who had never spoken up before, he said, all of a sudden joining in and, you know, posting, you know, Black Lives Matter or, or whatever it is. And he got upset by that. And I found that odd that people are trying to help and make a difference. And instead of asking them to join in this fight, he sort of drew a line and said, oh, all of a sudden you're standing up and saying something when you've never said anything before. And well, it goes back to our conversation earlier. We never realized because we're not like this. But all these people that are all of a sudden standing up, instead of saying, you know, great, you're finally saying something, oh, all of a sudden, there, there was, I guess, a way to say it and a way not to say it. And instead of drawing the line, you're saying, okay, thank you. Come join us. Yeah, I, I think that we have to make a clear delineation in Victor Cruz's sentiment. He's not saying that he doesn't want people to come join the cause. He says he doesn't want people posturing and using these issues to gain social clout. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier with slacktivism, right? You can post on Instagram. You can tweet as much as you want. If you don't do something that's actionable, if you don't donate money or go and march or, or educate yourself, try to reach out and learn more about how you can fight the good fight, then what are you speaking out for? That's what Victor Cruz is getting at. Jamal Adams on Twitter for the Jets has the same exact sentiment. He doesn't want people to come out and use these issues as a way to pull themselves up and to gain a better picture of themselves in, in society. That's, that's what the difference is, is that, yes, there are people, myself included, I, I would definitely not say that I've been outspoken about social issues in my lifetime, but there's no better time to change that than in the present. Don't mistake my silence in the past for complacency. It's like you said, you just can't understand unless you are a person of color. A and I've been lucky my whole life to not be afraid to get pulled over by police. When I got pulled over a few years ago for having a headlight out, I'm lucky that I didn't have the same fate as Eric Stevens, who was an Anaheim Ducks reporter for The Athletic. When he got pulled over for having a headlight out, the police removed him from his car and put him up against the side of his car. He hadn't done anything wrong except for have a headlight out. And his family, his wife and kids were in the car with him. When I, had, when I got pulled over, the cop asked for my license and registration, asked me if I knew it was out. I told him I knew, and he said, okay, get that fixed tomorrow. Have a nice night. I mean, it, you off with a warning. But, that, but that's what I'm saying. That's the problem, Dad, is that you can't know firsthand what it's like unless you are a person of color. And if you're not, if you're lucky enough, like me and you, to be white, sure, you can do your best to understand and you can do your best to speak out. And like I said, there's no better time than the present. I think all of the athletes and Matt Painter and Tom Izzo, the coaches, everybody who's coming out and saying that we want to be allies, we want to help you in this fight. I think that that is a genuine and different statement than the people who Victor Cruz is talking about, because he's talking about the people who are posting black squares on their Instagram and then go back to not giving a hoot about what's going on. Yeah, I think the, the, what sums it up you know, beautifully is Malcolm Jenkins and how upset he got with Drew Brees and Drew Brees saying that he, he, he missed the point and having to apologize, posted two apologies on Instagram. But the bottom line is this, you know, everyone, and, and, and I... <laughs> 
I laugh when I say it, but everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time, unless they're a strange individual. And everyone, it, it doesn't matter your color, it doesn't matter religion, race, it just doesn't matter. You put your pants on one leg at a time, which means everybody's equal. You know, unless you're jumping up in the air and doing something outrageous, you're putting your pants on one leg at a time. And that makes everyone equal. Nobody's extraordinary in that way. Nobody, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you believe in. We're all equal until proven otherwise. And there's the old saying, you know, it goes back to what you were talking about. It doesn't matter what you do when people are watching. What matters most is what you do when people aren't watching. And that's the way you have to look at it. It's like, am I being, it goes back to being my best self. Be somebody you aren't when people are watching. Be who you are when people are not watching. That's who you really are. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add one more thing, and then you can have the last word if you want. What you were saying about pe- people being equal, that's why change needs to be affected. It's because in the eyes of the law right now, in the eyes of law enforcement, not everybody is seen as equal. The arrest rate for African Americans is much higher than that of white people. You rarely ever, I I don't know that I ever have seen a a white person killed by police in the fashion that I saw George Floyd get get murdered. That was brutal. And and that's where the problem arises. In sports, everyone is equal when you step on to the court. LeBron James probably gets a few more fouls called when he drives in the lane. But everybody's equal. Everybody's playing under the same rule set. And the reason why we're having this conversation right now is because the athletes who are using their platforms to affect change want to get that rule set changed in society so that everybody can be seen as equal. We're not there yet, and that's why we're having the conversations that we need to be having right now because we need to get there. Absolutely, and that's, that's what this is all about. We need to have dialogue. We need to have education. And you, if you're listening, maybe you have beliefs that uh, about people who don't look like you, where you just need to do a little research. Talk to somebody of that race, religion, whatever it is. I'll bet you you find that they're very much like you, no matter what they, their beliefs, no matter what their skin color. I'll bet you just one conversation, and you'll understand that they're a lot more like you than you think they are. We're going to flip the switch here because we as sports fans, we don't want to talk about negative stuff all the time. We want to talk sports. And there's sports coming. There's sports on the horizon. We'll talk about the NBA who has a plan. Somebody who has a plan. Somebody who came to an agreement. It was a 29-to-1 agreement, but came to an agreement that they're going to start playing basketball again. Imagine that. We, who's been stuck in the house or trying to avoid getting sick for months and months without our sports, we're finally going to get some NBA. I'm happy. I'm not a huge basketball fan. You can thank James Dolan and the Knicks for that. For not... I don't thank him well, for anything. It, look, <laughs> it's not no hate towards him or the Knicks. It's just saying that they have not been very good in my formative years. They had one good run, I think it was in 2013, where Roy Hibbert went off against them in like the conference finals, and they didn't make it to the finals, even though they had a great team that was Mello and Chandler and Amari Stoudemire. So I, I'm not a huge NBA fan. I love college basketball, 
but I'm just glad we're getting something back. It's going to be so nice to sit down at the end of a day with a cold drink and watch some sports. So we're going to get the NBA. They're coming back July 31st. There's 20, only 22, you know, there's 30 NBA teams, but only 22 we're going to get to see play, which means uh, my beloved Knicks, who I have a love-hate relationship, a lot of hate right now for, but they're going to be sitting home watching everyone else play, uh, along with uh, Charlotte, Chicago, Atlanta, Detroit, Cleveland, Minnesota, and surprisingly enough, Golden State, who's more banged up than healthy at this point, although uh, Steph Curry is probably getting healthy and and you know the rest of them are as well so uh there's going to the 22 teams like i said there'll be 13 western conference teams eight eastern conference teams or nine nine, nine eastern conference teams there'll be eight quote-unquote regular season games left and those will determine seeding teams that are within right now the teams that are within six games of the eight seed are making this regular season and postseason tournament so to speak and then uh, there could be play-in games. If the nine seed finishes four games or fewer behind the eight seed, there will be a play-in. So that's where things could get interesting because it's a two-game play-in. You get the the nine seed will have to win two games to make the playoffs. The eight seed will have to just win one against that nine seed to make the playoffs. Haven't heard what the deal is if two teams, uh, let's say nine and ten, both finish tied. And they may go to some sort of tiebreaker instead of playing an extra game or two. But I think the playoffs are supposed to end October 12th or something like that, which is right around when, I guess, training camps or something like that for, for basketball. Are supposed to, it's probably deep into training camp for basketball. So I, I'm assuming the 2020 uh, 2020-2021 season will be pushed back slightly, and they'll try and figure out how to condense that or just end it slightly later than, than normal. But... That- Basketball is coming back. Don't don't get me wrong. There are a lot of details to iron out. Players' salaries. How's that going to work for teams that play fewer games? What's going to happen with the season next year? They're thinking about having the NBA draft October 15th and then free agency starting three days later. There's a lot to be figured out. But I think instead of being negative, we can just be positive and look at the fact that I'm not going to have to stay up until four in the morning to watch KBO anymore for my sports fix. <laughs> Yeah, and and look, if you're a Disney fan or a, a fan of uh, Walt Disney stock, hopefully you'll get a little boost from them playing down at the ESPN wide, wide World of Sports. There'll be probably six games a day. They'll space them four hours apart so that there's enough time for cleaning. And but the, these we played without fans, and they'll be testing daily to make sure that everyone's healthy and. Uh, figure out what to do if, God forbid, someone does contract the coronavirus. But the idea is to get it all in and get it, get the NBA, I won't say back on track, because nothing's going to get anything back on track the way we're used to it. And that's going to be what's going on, you know, going forward is getting used to a quote-unquote new normal. And for the, the end of this season, both in, in the NBA and the the NHL, which is also coming back, there's going to be a, a new normal, at least for a, a little while. But that brings us to a, another sport which can't figure it out, which can't come to an agreement. Uh, like the NBA, like you said, there's prorated salaries. Not sure what's going to happen with the eight teams that aren't playing. I'm, I'm assuming they're not playing. They're not getting paid because they're not performing, and there's no TV revenues coming in from those teams so 
I'm not sure how those players will be affected, but it's a big problem with Major League Baseball when we, you know, turn the page to Major League Baseball. They've been talking for months and months and months about how to get this all started and how what what kind of agreement. Originally that the owners agreed to prorated salaries and that that was back in early May or that was I guess back in March. And in early May, they you know they wanted an 82 game schedule. There was going to a 14 team playoff and a 50 50 revenue split. And suddenly, somewhere along the line, towards the middle of May, a little after that, Major League Baseball, the owners decided that look, we're losing four billion dollars on this proposal, and we're not sure we want to go this route. So we want to cut salaries even further, and for the guys who are making a lot of money, the Mike Trouts of the world, we're going to cut your salary by 80%. Now, if you're making the league minimum, we're only going to cut you 50%. That's a huge chunk of money. I don't know how much the, the owners are really losing, and that's one of the things the MLBPA uh, wanted to find out, saying, look, give us your calculations. You say you're losing $4 billion. Show us. Show us how you're losing $4 billion, and then maybe we'll have a little empathy. But it's always there's always that thought in the back of everyone's mind, oh, the owners are making so much money, the players are getting screwed. But now there's a lot of sentiment going around where fans are like, yeah, the players should just play. Well, I mean, the players should play, but the players should play under conditions that allow them to receive their portion of the revenue, in my opinion, and probably in the, in the eyes of the players, too. I don't understand what it is on Twitter about people saying, oh, you're making $200,000 instead of $500,000, just shut up and, and play. Yes, but am I saying that Mike Trout is going to be hurting if he makes $7 million prorated instead of $35 million prorated? No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that if you go to work and your boss says to you, hey, we want you to do the same exact job. We're going to cut your hours by 50%, so you're only going to get 50% of your pay, but we're also going to decrease your hourly rate by 78%. I wouldn't go to work. Well, it's not and it's not about cutting the hours. They want them to work. Now these athletes have to stay in shape 365 days a year. It's not not like the old days where these guys used to come into training camp or you know whatever it is for any sport out of shape and work their way into shape. You have to be in shape when you show up for spring training for training camp because if you're out of shape and I've been at those training camps. What's one of the first questions? Oh, did it? Did everyone come in in shape? Well, it didn't used to be like that, but it is now. You have to you have to have your place to work out. You have to shell out that money for your trainer or whoever it is, so that you can be in shape. Because if you're not in shape, you're losing your job. So these players, even though in quarantine or or stuff like that, and you know, working as I had done for the XFL, I spoke to some guys in, in the month before the XFL was blown up i spoke to players who were doing what they had to do to stay in shape because they wanted to get an opportunity somewhere if it wasn't back with the xfl which is now bankrupt and trying to find a buyer they were hoping to hook up with an nfl team somewhere and try and get a tryout or get an invitation to a a, a mini camp or training camp or a rookie camp or something like that so you know these players it's not about cutting hours these players are still going to play so I think that the right way to do it is say, look, we're going to prorate it and pay you for the number of games you play, which is one of the reasons why now there was a proposal from the owners saying, oh, we only want to play 50 games. 
But if you only play 50 games, and a lot of major leaguers will tell you, it takes them 25 to 40 games really to get into a groove, to get going, and, and really feel like, okay, the season's underway. Now, 40 games is, is you know, 25% of the season, but... You know, when you think about it, it's only 25% of the season. If you're going to play 50 games and you're playing 40, it takes you 40 to get comfortable, well, the season's over. So how are you going to get comfortable and then cut the season short? And I don't think 50 games, when you're talking about baseball, is enough to determine playoffs. And that it's almost They're almost like cheating. That Yeah, they, they want to do it because they, they want to keep the games down and lose less money. But it's almost like cheating the fans. Here, we're going to give you a taste because, but... We're only going to do it this much. Look, I would be grateful for any baseball at this point. I'm not optimistic that we even get a deal done. On Wednesday, one of the, I think, deputy commissioners or one of the one of the people in the commissioner's office said that the owners do not believe that an 82-game season is a possibility at this point. And considering that the players' last proposal was a 114-game season and they want to compromise at 82, it doesn't seem the commissioner's office wants to do that. I'm not optimistic that we're going to have baseball, which breaks my heart. Because I've been fortunate enough to live my entire life without any work stoppages. You obviously were alive for the work stoppage in the 90s. And, and it was miserable. And so my question to you is, do you think we're going to have a season? I think, that, I think that both sides will come to their senses. Now, look, you know, as a player, you want to get play, paid for, for what you're performing. And as an owner, you don't want to lose money. But it's a matter of putting a product on the field and trying to lose as little as possible. And that's what they have to figure out. If that's playing a 60, 70 game season and maybe losing a little bit of money or playing 82 games and losing a little bit more money and keeping your fan base. And that's part of the problem is you want to keep your fan base. Now, a lot of the money comes from TV and all that. But if, you don't, if you're not sticking fannies in the seats, you're not selling tickets, you're not getting part of the, the concession, and then you're not getting... You know, people come to the stadium and buy a hat or buy a jersey or buy a little stuffed animal for their 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 little kid or you know everything that goes along with that. So there's there is a lot of revenue that's not being made. So you know, going back to your question, yeah, I think that they will come to their senses, and I think somewhere along the line, someone will realize, look, you know what? If we don't have a season, we're going to lose a lot more than just what we we're losing right now. So that's, I think, at some point, I don't know when that'll be, but I think at some point, and some point soon, it's got to be within the next couple of weeks because these guys have to start getting together and start working out. You know, pitchers can't just step on a mound and throw, you know, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball without getting hurt. They need to work up to that. So there has to be another type of spring training at some point. But I think there will be baseball. I'm hopeful there will be baseball. Like you said, right now you have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. But you may be able to do that and watch Matt Harvey. Yeah, I mean, Matt Harvey is getting some interest from KBO teams. I guess we can end it on a somewhat positive note. I love the guy because he was a tank for the Mets during their World Series run. Kind of fell out of favor with the fans after that. But it would be nice to see some Matt Harvey action in the KBO. I definitely would not complain about that. I think it's interesting that he's getting some love from them. He's obviously a free agent right now. But, hey, any more recognizable names in the KBO is just going to make that league more accessible to Americans, which a lot of Americans are getting behind that league right now. And I think that until we have MLB back, that's my baseball fix. So, <laughs> you know, if Matt Harvey's going to go over there and pitch, I'm going to be watching him. Yeah, I think, look, you know, Matt Harvey fell out of favor because of some other things here in New York, but it would be fun to watch 
baseball again. It'll be fun to watch sports, period, again. And the NHL is also coming back. The NFL thinks that they're going to get started on time. If you're a soccer fan, there's there's a, a bunch of soccer now that you can watch that's being played. But, you know, for now... We're hopeful that baseball, at least I'm hopeful. I don't know much about that. I don't think Max is on that same page, but I'm hopeful that baseball will be back. We know that basketball was coming, is coming back. So there is live sports on the horizon, not, something, not, com- not some computer simulation that you have to watch, some live sports with your favorite sports players that's going to be in action soon, and hopefully Major League Baseball will be back as well. So that'll do it for us today on Podcast by Committee. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew Brill. I'm Max Brill. If you want to connect with us, follow us on Instagram at Podcast by Committee. Our personal Instagram handles are in the bio. Check us on Twitter. I'm at MetsFanMax. My dad, Andrew, is at Andrew F. Brill. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks again to Mason Pettit for the introduction and to Kevin McLeod for the music.